You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for December 2010. Today's episode is titled, Career Development, Not a Matter of Luck. In the world of today, it is not unusual for people to attribute unexplained events to luck. Luck is a favorable or unfavorable outcome to an event that seems to be outside of our control and is therefore perceived to be driven by random chance. Given that God created the universe, he has all authority to manage his universe as he wishes. Isaiah 55.9 states that God's ways and thoughts are beyond us. If you concede this, then it is conceivable that what seems random to humans is not random to God. To be successful, organizations must recognize that there is no randomness in God's universe. Everything happens for a reason. Always seek to understand what the Lord is doing and align with Him. Ultimately, all organizational challenges are tangible evidence of God's work. And now Dr. Chester brings us a message titled, Intentionality and Vocational Calling. My heart is to be very relevant. You know, my favorite venue is one-on-one with people, where they can tell me what's going on and we can interact. And I love it when the Holy Spirit shows up and something happens. Like I was having lunch today in our seminar and I was sitting at one table and I was conversing with one lady and I'm just, we're just talking, and all of a sudden she said, I needed to hear that. That's what I needed to hear today. I knew Holy Spirit was, was there, and I just shut up okay, and let the Holy Spirit do what he was going to do with that lady. So that's my favorite venue. But since I'm with, what, 40 of you all, um, and I don't know most of you all, so I don't really know what's going on with you all, but I know there's some certain things that are probably going on with you all. Uh, one of the things that's probably going on with you is you don't have a clue what God created you to do. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Okay. Would y'all agree with that? Okay. How many of you have ever seen a baby born? Okay. Is it not a marvelous thing? Now, I was in my Ph.D. program at UT when our daughter was born back in 1972, and I got to watch the birth. So I'm in the, I'm in the room, the delivery room with the doctor and the nurses and, of course, my wife. And here comes my daughter. Now, as a scientist, I'm trained to be an observer. Okay? I'm looking at everything. So I, I wanted to inspect this thing that just appeared. So I did, <laughs> looking it over very carefully. And I noticed something very interesting. There was no nameplate. Now, you see, in the lab, whenever we got a piece of equipment, it always had a nameplate on it. This is a Hewlett-Packard model such and such, and it did give us the limits on you know, how many amps and volts you could put into it and that kind of stuff, how hot it, you, could, you could let it get. You had parameters, and then you had a handbook that told you how to use it, how to set it up, how to calibrate it, how to troubleshoot it, all that kind of stuff. But here's this little baby, and there's, there's no, there's no nameplate. And there's no handbook. Now, i got a real problem here. What am I going to do with this? Well, that, that's kind of humorous. But the reality is this. My little girl did not appear by random chance. Okay? I have a coin in my pocket here. Okay? This happens to be a commemorative coin. Uh, who's any golfers here? No golfers? Come on! You know what the World Golf Hall of Fame is? You know what that is? Okay. You know who Payne Stewart was? Yes. 
Okay. This is a commemorative coin. It's got Payne Stewart's image on it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's printed by the PGA Tour Partners Club, and you get one a month if you join the club. But it's got, a, it's got Payne Stewart on one side, and the other side it's got the emblem of the Hall of Fame. So if I were to flip this coin, we have a heads and a tail, right? Is that a random event? It seems like a random event, doesn't it? Has anybody got a Bible? Open, somebody open your Bible and read to me Proverbs 16, verse 33. You may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Another translation is the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. My little girl that came out in 1972, it was not random. God was in that. If he's in the flip of a coin, he's certainly in the birth, birth of a baby. So now my job as a parent is I've got to figure out what hath God wrought. Because okay? there's not a nameplate, there's not an owner's manual. Well, I didn't realize there wasn't an owner's manual. There really was an owner's manual because this is the manual. Okay? I later understood that. I didn't understand at the time. And the reality, my job as a parent was now to discern what God had created this little girl to do and now begin to train her so she could go do it. That was my job. Now, most of us today think of parenting as put a safety net under the kids, make it big enough, wide enough, so if they fall, they won't get hurt too badly. Isn't that what we think? Yeah, that's what we think. And we tell them things like, those of you that are parents probably identify with this, you can be anything you want to be. Don't we tell them that? Okay. Have you ever thought that maybe you're lying to them? That ever, you ever considered that possibility? I might be lying to them. Maybe they can't be whatever they want to be. You know, we got this thing called flesh. You know, we have a lot of things in our flesh that we want to do that maybe God's not into. You know what? The reality is this. If we have a God who is in control, who is in charge and who's executing his will, he's doing his purpose. If that's the God that we have, then he's got a reason for my little girl and he has something he wants my little girl to do to carry out his plan and purpose on this planet. And so my job is to help line her up with that. My job is not to feed her flesh. It's to help her discern the will of God and to go do it. So if we believe that, if we really believe that, that defines what parenting looks like. It also defines what pastoring looks like. I, I chuckle. I, I was talking to one of my clients in California recently, and um, many times we get into conversations about the church and the pastor, and he said, you know, we really don't have anybody that's got a pastor's heart. I said, what do you mean? What's a pastor's heart? Well, you know, he's gentle and kind and, you know, visits people in the hospital and all that kind of stuff. I said, is that what a pastor does? Well, yeah. I said, well, you know, is a pastor kind of like a shepherd? He said, yeah. I mean, that's a good picture. I said, well, you ever, you ever looked at what a shepherd does? He said, well, not really. See, he's an accountant, so he wouldn't think about what a shepherd would do. But <laughs> no offense to accountants. But anyway. Anyway, so I said, well, let's, let's look at what a shepherd does. You know, a shepherd leads the sheep to water. A shepherd protects the sheep from the wolves. A shepherd goes and finds the strays. 
when he's got somebody wounded, they bind them up. You know, they, they care for them. And what happens when you have a sheep that keeps wandering off? And you go get them. They wander off again. You go get them. You wander off again. What do you, what's a shepherd do with that sheep? He breaks their legs. So I, he says, that is a new picture of pastoring. I haven't thought about that. So we need to start thinking biblically about what pastoring is. What a pastor should be is someone that's helping you discover what you have been called to do. Just like a parent. And now begin to train you to do it. By the way, that's what a manager should be doing. You know, we, uh, we operate under a false presupposition today in the business world. It's called, we believe that people are fungible. You know what fungible means? No. You know, fungible means interchangeable. Okay? You'll hear it. A manager will say, you know, I need a person to do this job over here. You hear what he just said? I need a person. Now, my contention is you don't need a person. You need the God-ordained person. You need the person. God is trained and equipped to do that job. And the reality is this whole fungibility thing has really infected us badly. You know, more, more than I realized. I was teaching strategic life alignment at Tyler a few weeks ago, and there was an airline pilot there. And this guy was retired, but he'd flown for Delta for years. And I asked him at the end, I said, what did the Holy Spirit say to you? And by the way, that's the only relevant question at the end of any meeting is what the Holy Spirit said to you. It really doesn't matter what your speakers say so much. I mean, we need to do a good job. But really the question is what did the Spirit say to you through what was said through the conversation during the evening. So I was asking, what did the Holy Spirit say to you? And he says, I realized something that I had never realized before. I said, what's that? He said, I realized that I am unique. I said, really? Yeah. Now, he said, I've, all my life I've been a pilot and a you know, flew in the military, and I flew in for the airlines. And basically the way they treat pilots is a pilot's a pilot. You know, if you can't make a pilot, well, you should get another pilot. It doesn't, make it, it doesn't matter, a pilot's a pilot. And so that he was getting, unwittingly, the airline and the way they operate, they were communicating to him something that was false. They were not validating his uniqueness and his identity, and so he had bought into that lie. And most of us have bought into lies like that because of the environment we're in and the culture of Christianity we have today. Our culture of Christianity today does not promote you finding your destiny. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? In fact, our culture of Christianity today promotes you thinking that you probably don't count in the kingdom of God. And here's the way we know that. When you, how many of you go to church? Okay. All right, and you probably, and I've been in church buildings throughout the United States, in Europe, in Africa, in Canada, in Mexico, and they all are pretty much the same. In fact, it's amazing. I, when I spoke in South Africa last, last summer, I was amazed as I was sitting there in the service thinking, you know, if I didn't know I was in South Africa, I was th I'd think I was in Dallas because it looks just like Dallas. They sing the same songs. They have the... They set up the service the same. Everything's pretty much the same. And when you walk into a typical room where you're going to have a service, what do you see? You can interact with me. That's okay. I can handle it. What do you see when you walk in? You see a platform, right? Okay, and you see chairs out here. And those chairs are pointed where? To the platform. Okay, and who is on the platform? 
Okay, the pastor, maybe may some worship people, maybe some associate pastors, but generally it's going to be the pastoral staff and the people that are, you know, important. Okay, and what is the message of how we are seated? The message is the important person is on the platform. The rest of us are there. It's kind of a supporting cast. So in other words, we unwittingly are told that we're second class, that we really don't count that much. In fact, the way we reinforce that reality is, let's say we're going to have a mission trip. In fact, this just happened in my church recently. An engineer in our church was going to go on a mission trip to South America. And somebody <clears throat> decides, hey, we need to pray over him, which is, that's a great idea. We need to pray over him. Hey, so, hey, come on up here. We're all going to gather around, lay hands on you, and we're going to pray over you and send you out to do the work of the Lord. That's great. Had a great mission trip. Two weeks later, he comes back. First Sunday he's in church. Everybody's patting him on the back. Hey, glad to see you. How'd it go? Da-da-da-da-da. And now, the next day, he's going to go back to being an engineer. Did we pray over him? No, we didn't. What did we tell him? By that action or inaction, what did we tell him? We told him, the mission. if you're going to go on a mission trip, that's the kingdom work. That's important. But if you're going to go be an engineer, eh, well, that's just something you got to do to make money. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so that is the, that's the message that we're continually being given over and over in our churches, in our cultures, in our, in our home groups, and we're buying into it. Mm-hmm. And so we're accepting this false assumption that we really don't count. Mm-hmm. The only person that does count is going to be somebody that's, quote, in vocational ministry. And the reality is, you are in vocational ministry. That's what, if you believe Ephesians 4, do y'all, do y'all believe Ephesians 4? Okay, That God has given us apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to do what? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? We're the saints for the work of ministry, which means service. That's us. There's actually a church up in New York that's it's really grabbing hold of this, just like Dr. Burris was talking about in Matthew 6.33, really grabbing hold of verse and really saying, hey, we're going to own it. It's going to be incarnate in us. And by the way, side point, you know, you're only as mature as, as you've incarnated the word in your life. Okay? So we need to get the word incarnate in us where we live it. So this church said, we're going to live this. So first thing I said, you can't call anybody on staff a minister. Now you can call them equippers, but you can't call them ministers. Okay, so the staff now takes on the role of being equippers. And so now they're looking at the ministers who are the congregation and said, how can we equip them? How can we prepare them to do what they're called to do? And so on Sunday when they have their services, what happens is uh, at the end of the service, they, they do the same thing every week. They say, well, all the ministers stand up. Well, after you've been there a while, you figured out that's a clue. You better stand up because you're a minister. And then they speak a blessing over them and release them to their ministry. And then they leave. That's a powerful message, isn't it? I mean, that's, that is a great picture of reality. Now, that's not what most churches do. I share that with our, our, you know, our staff and our elders and pastors, and it didn't go very far. I'm not sure why. But I haven't given up. I'm going to continue working on that. Okay? 
Because we've got to begin to give a different message. We've got to stop the message that says, hey, you really don't count, but the only thing you're good for is making money. So go out and make a bunch of money and come back and be sure and tithe. There's a group of guys that, uh, that read my book, and uh, they asked me to come and just interact with them after I got, they got through reading it. And their pastor was one of the people in the group. And so we were having a conversation, and I, I just couldn't resist having this same conversation with them that I just had with you. And uh, the pastor was so funny. I said, you know, I said, you know, just I don't mean to offend you here, but, but my, my perspective of what I see with most pastors is they view the businessmen as the cash cows. And he immediately said, amen. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a, sad, it's a sad reality on the part of many pastors. Please don't be offended by that, by, by, by your pastor's position. Your pastor loves you. He, in most cases, he's doing the best he knows how to do to help you. But we need to be praying for them as well as ourselves that we would understand the real game. And the real game is discover what God has created you to do on this earth. He's got a plan. He works everything according to the counsel of his will. We've, we believe Ephesians 1.11. Okay? If we believe it, then is there anything that isn't according to the counsel of his will? He's got a plan for everything. He's got a plan for you and what he wants you to do for your family, for your work activities, for your church, for your community, for your schools, for everything in your life. He's got a plan, and our job is to discern his will and to do it. And that's the challenge we all have. So as we begin the journey together of trying to understand how, how do we go about finding this purpose of God for our life, what we're going to do is introduce to you the C4 principle. The C4 principle is the biblical principle, in my opinion, for discovering what God has created you to do. And we're going to show you a number of texts in Scripture where the C4 principle is found. And I think as you begin to see that principle, you'll begin to understand and you'll develop a tool to discern what God is calling you to do. But it's not just information. This is a seminar to get you to engage in discovering what God put you here to do. And it's going to take work on your part. Are you willing to work? How, How many of you have played golf? Have you discovered that when you pick up the golf club and go to the range, the first time you swing, it's not very pretty? You discovered that? Well, that's kind of what it is when you start this journey of discovering your destiny. It it may not be pretty out of the box, but you don't quit. You keep swinging, and you keep talking to your coach. He works on your grip and your stance and gets you going, and eventually you start hitting some shots. Well, that's what will happen. As you get on this journey, you'll eventually begin to hit some shots. And you'll begin to see things will fall into place. That's what's happened to Philip. This is a product of Philip getting on his journey and discovering what God has created him to do and deciding it's not about money anymore. It's now about the will of God, and I believe Matthew 6.33. Because that tells me that if I seek first the kingdom, which is the will of God, and righteousness, which is God's methods, his principles of doing business and living life, if I do it that way, then what happens is... He meets my needs. The context there is food, clothing, shelter. All the things that you need that you think you so desperately have to have money for, he takes care of those things. But our job is to get the priorities right. And what Philip is doing, and you're experiencing that, is he's getting the priorities right in his life. So I'm blessed.
to be part of this. And I bless you, Philip, and what you've done. And look forward to the journey with you.